Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. All right, welcome tonight to our study of the Covenant of Grace. And we have been studying this now for several months. And we are looking at the Holy Spirit who is the executor of the new covenant. Just as an executor of a will is responsible for seeing that the conditions of the will are carried out, so the, so the executor, uh, Holy Spirit of the new covenant is responsible for making sure that the new covenant is fulfilled. And we are looking at his various roles. Tonight we're going to be looking at the unifying role of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. Now we have seen that. Mark, you didn't put my batteries in here. Hold on. All right, let's see. Here we go. All right. Here we are. Where have I gone? All right. Here we are. The unifying role of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've already looked at three roles the Holy Spirit has in the New Covenant. Once One is He empowers, and we talked about all the various ways that He empowers us to witness, empowers us to serve, empowers us to live. You remember God said in the New Covenant, he would put his spirit within us and give us a heart to obey. The old covenant didn't have the power to obey, make someone obey. It didn't have the power to enable someone to obey. It just had the rules, the regulations, the law. But God said, the day is coming when I will place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and walk in my ways. Over in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And that is why you and I can and should live the new covenant because the Spirit of God is in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then we looked at the purifying work of the Holy Spirit as He purifies us, sanctifies us, brings us in the spiritual maturity. Again, if it belonged and depended on us totally to grow in spiritual maturity, we would not do it. But it is the Spirit of God. We do cooperate with Him in this, but it is the Spirit of God that gives us the desire to want to grow spiritually. Any spiritual hunger you have in your life is because God has placed it there through His Spirit. And then you desire to read and study, and, and you do so. And thirdly, we saw the Holy Spirit reveals. We saw the great teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit and his how He illuminates God's Word and increases our understanding of the Word of God. His great revelatory ministry. And I said, I didn't believe there's any truth known to anyone, Christian or non-Christian, apart from the Holy Spirit, revealing that truth. Even scientific truth that unbelievers discover, I think they discover it because of the common grace of the Holy Spirit enabling them to see that truth. I do not believe unregenerate mind can comprehend and see and discover new truth apart from the Spirit of God, who is the revealer 
I believe, of all truth. And it is that common grace that God gives both to the believer and unbeliever. The sun shines on the both believer and unbeliever. The rains on the unbeliever as well as the believer. All those are common grace. Now tonight, we're coming to the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. We see at Pentecost... The Holy Spirit created a new community of believers, which was to be known as the church. The church, ecclesia is the Greek word. You may be surprised to know that that word is originally a political term. Ecclesia, ek, out. Ecclesia, call, those who are called out. It was used of a political body, those that had been called out to work in a certain political body. I guess in a strict sense, the Republican Party would be an ecclesia, those called out as a political body. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, that word came to mean the people of God who are called out, right? We are called out from the world to be God's people, we are the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church. And it is the Holy Spirit that began the church and continues to enable the church to function and remain. In Acts 2, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Here they are in the upper room. And they began selling their property, and possessions, and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So who was the one adding to their number? The Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. And then from there, he worked in the hearts of all those who would believe. And he is in the process of constituting the church. And we know, even as in the early church, that the church has continued to grow. And we talk about the universal church. We talk about the local church. And the local church, Fred's a part of that local church called Westside. The local church is the people, not the building. You know, we, hence I like to call it the church house where Westside meets. But in our English language, we have confused it by referring to the building as the church rather than the church house where the church gathers. Fred's house is no more Fred than this building is the church, right? It's Fred's house where he lives. The church is the people. The building is just where the people meet, the church house. And we talk about the local church. 
and the local church is made up of the believers that the Holy Spirit brings into the church. He assigns each one to a particular place. He gifts them in order to serve within that church. And the church, the local church, is spoken of as a body with many different parts. And it's important that all the parts are functioning properly, that all the Christian members of a local church are exercising their spiritual gifts. That is equates to your body working properly, your eye working properly, your heart working properly. And when all your body works right, everything goes good. If one part of it stops working right, you got problems. And the local church is not as what God would have it to be if all members are not serving in their area of giftedness. But then you have the universal church. The universal church is comprised of all those who are believers who are alive on the earth today, as well as all those who have ever lived who are believers. We speak of the universal church. All the redeemed of the Lord. All those whom Christ has purchased with his own blood from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. And it is that universal church that will be it will make up the bride of Christ. So you have individual churches, and then you have the universal church. All the individual churches go together, plus all those that have been in past times to be the church. Now, the Holy Spirit gives believers a common bond. I remember when I went on my first mission trip that I ever went on was back in around 1978 or 79. I went to Valdivia, Chile uh, to spend two weeks in Chile uh, preaching at a church. About 25 of us preachers went, and we paired up with missionaries and local pastors and went to Valdivia, Chile, which is on the coast, about halfway down. That's where I went. Uh, One guy went all the way down to the bottom. He was the southernmost Southern Baptist preacher in the world at that time. He was way down at the bottom of Chile. Uh, And we took a train ride. Old English train car with the sleepers and all. And uh, that was interesting, the rattling and and the berth where you get in and you pull the curtain, you know, you got a bunch of people. And then coming back, we actually got a private car uh, with the bed and everything, which which was fun. But one thing I immediately realized when I was there, though I didn't speak their language, they spoke Spanish, though I did not know their culture, we had a common bond in the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit in them. I had the Holy Spirit in me. And there was an immediate oneness. I saw this again when I went over to uh, Romania on the mission trips there. Again, different language, different culture. But there was this oneness that can only be explained as the Holy Spirit being in me the Holy Spirit in them, and this gives us our oneness. And that's what Paul's talking about. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which basically means common, to have together, to partner with. And so it carries the idea, again, of us having in common who? The Holy Spirit. Yes. We have the Holy Spirit in common. That's our common bond. That's our fellowship. Our fellowship is based on the fact that we all have the Holy Spirit living within us. And that Holy Spirit in me, the Holy Spirit in you, that brings and gives us the fellowship. That gives us the common bond. That gives us the partnership. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, again, fellowship, oneness, common bond, is referred to as coming from the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. If any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unified in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, that, my friends, is unity. That is unity at its best. Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And that is brought by the Holy Spirit. And that purpose is ultimately to bring glory to God by being obedient to His will. As I mentioned last week, that's what gives us this common purpose. That's what gives us unity, is that we have one thing that we all desire, and that is the will of God, not our will. When we start desiring our will, that's division. But when we put our will aside, and desire only God's will, then we can be unified because we're seeking to find out the will of God. And when we find out what that will is, since that is our goal and purpose, that brings that unity, that brings that oneness. And as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, uh, throughout the 40 years of, of ministry, that I have always had a great working relationship with the deacons and all the churches, uh, by and by and large, uh, because we've all had a common purpose to know the will of God. Now here at at uh, Westside, uh, we have always had what I would almost call a perfect, perfect oneness of spirit. Because as I'm thinking back over the many men who've served as deacon in the past 24 years, I cannot come up with even one name of a single man that served that did not display a desire and only a desire for us to follow the will of God. And so therefore we had a great unity. 
Sometimes you'll get somebody wants their will, and there you start having problems. But God has been gracious. He's been good to us and to a man. We have always sought only God's will, and therefore we have been able to move forward in complete unity. Never had to, to vote three to five, six to two, or something like that. No, it's been 100%. Every decision we've ever made, since I've been here, we've been unified in oneness, believing we were doing what God wanted us to do. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. He brings that unity, that one purpose. Also, the Holy Spirit unifies Jews and Gentiles. You have heard us speak about the great division between Jews and Gentiles in the Old Testament days. And rightly so. God told them, don't fool it. Don't have anything to do with those guys. I mean, don't don't make, don't let your children marry them. Don't even let the name of their gods be on your lips. He went as far to say that. He said, in fact, when you go into to Canaan, you need to exterminate them all the way. If not, they're going to be a thorn in your flesh. And they did not exterminate them, and they were a thorn in their flesh, just like God said. And so the Jews have been very exclusive. They have maintained a, a, an exclusiveness. Uh, I mean, you could really say they were very prejudiced people toward any one that was not Jewish. Well, then you can understand the great hurdles they had to overcome when Gentiles started getting saved. That God's mystery from the ages that they didn't understand in the Old Covenant necessarily is that God intended to save Gentiles and bring Gentiles and Jews together in one church. Not a Jewish church in a Gentile church, but one church. And here we see Paul talking about that in Ephesians. And he says, for through him, through Jesus, we both have one access in one spirit, both Jews and Gentiles, in one spirit to the Father. Jews, Gentiles, two groups, one spirit. Therefore, one group, right? The one spirit takes the two groups and makes them one. Right. Access in one spirit to the Father. We're all coming to the Father. The two join together in the spirit and go to the Father as one. All right, see that? So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. Again, the Jews would consider the Gentiles strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household. Here not only are the two becoming one, but they are one family. They are part of God's household. Fellow citizens. Fellow again. The idea of same, together. Not different citizens of one kingdom, but together. All one. Jews and Gentiles, the dividing wall has been broken down, he says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now he's talking about Christians. Now, the idea of the church being like a building. 
in whom you also are being built together with a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So here we have, and this pretty much flows, of God's household, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, together now, get that concept, together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Together into a dwelling, not into two dwellings, but one dwelling. Gentile, Jews, separated when apart from Christ, but once they are in Christ, the Spirit, the one Spirit, brings them together into the presence of the Father as one. They are built into one household, one common house, one temple by the one Spirit. So there, any anti-Semitism, it really has no foundation, does it? Also, he talks about the unity of the Spirit, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that tells me that we have a responsibility to be diligent. That means give it good effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by seeking God's will and not our will. When you're selfish, then you're working against the unity of the Spirit. But when you are seeking the will of God in the bond of peace, to be at peace with one another, then you are seeking to preserve the unity of the Spirit. All right? Okay, so the Holy Spirit unifies, reveals, purifies, and he empowers. Now, do you have any question? Is that an old thing for you? Okay. You you got the new one here? That's the new one. (laughs) Okay. All right. Any questions about the unity of the Spirit? All right, here we are. Let's see. The Spirit, number D. I got some more to go, it looks like. (coughs) No. What happened? He gives unity C between Gentiles and Jews. The oneness of the Spirit brings unity. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. I didn't deal with that one, did I? All right, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. 12, 21, the gifts of the Spirit bring unity. Hey, that's it. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So each of the members is important. 
because of the gifts that the Lord's given us in 12.12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. Yes, it does. But 12.12 is the one I just read. Yes, yes. I did read 12.21, but then I went to 12.12 as well. Okay? And then 12.7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right? Again, the spiritual gifts are used by the Spirit to bring unity. The fruit of the Spirit, that's E, also brings unity. Over in Galatians 5, as you look at the fruit of the Spirit, as Christians are bearing and living out the fruit of the Spirit, that brings unity. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can't you see how the fruit of the Spirit brings unity, love, Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of those things help serve to bring unity in the body of Christ. And then F, the Holy Spirit produces love in our hearts, which is the perfect bond of unity. Romans 5, 5. Paul says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And then in Colossians 3.14, we read, And beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So as the Holy Spirit pours out love into my heart, and that love flows out to you, and he pours out love in your heart, and that love flows out to me, that brings a perfect bond of unity. Right? Because we are one in our love, our common love for our Lord, our common love for the Lord's people. Amen? All right. Any questions? All right. Next week, Lord willing, we'll begin to look at some of the symbols of the Holy Spirit given in Scripture. Some of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. Who can think of one? The dove. All right. Got it. Good. Good. Who can think of another one? Well, the Trinity is, is not a symbol. It is a reality. All right. Symbol of the Holy Spirit. Dove. Water. All right. What else? Blood. Mud. Blood. No, not blood. Now, 
What about now symbols? Now we're talking about symbols. Remember what what at Pentecost what came?